0: Thinking about sales culture, especially as we turn our attention to a remote world, how are we building that connection? Cash isn't gonna do that. If I sit in my room and feel isolated all day long, making cold calls, and then my boss is like, here's a $50 gift card for hitting your cold calling goals this quarter, yay but I don't even know half of my team. I've only ever seen them on Zoom. If I come back though, and I, again, had a Michelin star dinner, and I talk about the seven courses and how I actually love cooking, that connection there, I am taking that essence of President's Club and just kind of interweaving it into our sales culture.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Britt Bartolini. Britt is a senior enterprise account executive at Blueboard. And I don't know about you, but I'm always fascinated to talk with people who've changed courses in the career, doing something safe, if you will, and then making the decision to jump into the cauldron that is B2B selling. I like learning how people make the decision, why they make that decision. In our conversation today, my guest Britt Bartolini and I dig into her journey into sales. We explore what it was that attracted her to the challenge and what concerns she had going into it and perhaps some based on the stereotypes of sellers, and we talk about how she's dealt with that. We also dig into what it's like selling to sellers, how incentives and recognition play into keeping sellers motivated and fresh. So we get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Britt, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's jump into it. Britt, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, thank you for having me. Well,
1: it's a pleasure to have you. So um, you're a podcast newbie.
0: I am. I'm am fresh fine. Fresh to this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's say we'll make sure this is a good experience for you. So as we get started, tell us a bit about you and what you do.
0: Yeah. So I am a senior enterprise account executive at Blueboard.
1: Mm-hmm. And my
0: main job is to transfer my enthusiasm for experiential rewards to everyone that I speak to. Um, I did not come from a sales background. I came from people in operations in the tech education space and was pretty passionate about culture and talent development and getting people to really stay engaged with what we were trying to create. And we knew that the customers wouldn't love us until the employees loved us first. And that was that became a passion project. And then when I found Blueboard, I thought, wow, this is revolutionary. This is what I've been preaching. It's the five love languages, but in the workplace. And the only All one right. they had open was sales. So here I am.
1: Well, so why sales? I mean, you, you said, you know, you, when you were on time before that, yeah, you, know, you sort of shifted. I won't give your age, but after you'd been in the workforce for a few years, what was it about sales that, that motivated you to want to seek out that challenge?
0: Yeah, so I will be honest, I was pretty against it at first. I had a really great mentor in the culture space and consulting. And he had come to me first mm-hmm. and was like, I think you should do sales. You're really great at storytelling and that's important. And I thought, in my mind, I had not known a lot of female salespeople and I really had this um stereotype, I will say, of which was car salesmen selling snake oil, you know, madmen. And that didn't align with my values and, and what I was about. And I happen to know the Blueboard founders. When I went for the interview, they said all we have available is sales. And I said, Okay, I'll consider it, but promise me when there's a role for HR, you'll let me move into the talent space. And they said, let's see how you do. And when they offered me the role, they said, we can teach sales. We can't teach culture. And we think you're a great culture fit. And having someone really believe in me in that way and hearing it through multiple channels that I should probably go this route, I agreed for the challenge. And the first year was a lot of learning, which really lights me up. So I was telling you before this that I sought out a lot of books and I sought out a lot of podcasts and I really got influenced by this concept of I'm not selling I'm selling blue board. I'm selling something I'm passionate about. And that's just a transfer of enthusiasm, which I learned from a podcast. And and that was yep. easy for me. And people wanted to hear that and people gravitated towards it. And so it's happened to make me successful in this career path. And it opened a lot of doors for autonomy in my career and really getting to own you know my book of business, who I associate myself with, and how I lean in for others, and say, "Wait, have you considered sales? It's so much fun! I wish someone had told me before." So here I am. Well, <laughs> all right.
1: So let's let's unpack some of that. So okay, had this these negative stereotypes associated with salespeople. So let me ask you this: this when when people after talk to people, yeah. You know, uh, this negative image of sellers we have that buyers talk about the stereotypes, snake oil salesperson you talked about in your mind when you're picturing those, are, are those stereotypes ever women or are they always men?
0: Ooh, great question. They are typically men. Yes. And I will say, even when I meet female salespeople, I think uh, the conversations I have with them tend to be a little different um, in their approach with me, but Yes. Traditionally, it was um, a little more less aggressive. I will say early on in my career when I sold to salespeople, which I sell a lot to sales leaders for sales incentives, presence clubs, things of that nature. uh, I loved men because they were very direct. They were like, hey, you don't have to give me your pitch here. Just tell me what I'm going to get out of this. Tell me how much it's going to cost. I'll take it back to my team and look at it. And when I would pitch to female sales leaders, they tend to be a little bit more curious and tend to want to give me the space to have my pitch. And I don't know if that was out of politeness to hear how I would present it to them. But a lot of times it was a slower buy-in process, more curiosity, um, and it helped me curate that pitch to them.
1: Yeah. So what you're saying is when you're selling to the female sales leaders, they were more human than when you're selling to the male sales leaders.
0: Not necessarily. I don't want to bucket all of them because I know I have male sales leaders who I'm so connected with. I know. Okay. I was like, like, no, they they were great too. Um, But probably maybe they saw more of themselves in me and gave me that opportunity to embrace and expand what I was trying to communicate as opposed to just wanting the directness mm -hmm. so that they can give me the easy win. I do feel like a lot of, my male sales leaders, if I do a good enough job, they they are open to giving me the easy win, which is a quicker sales cycle, and I appreciate that. So it's a it's a give and take for both.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you're always in your career, you're running into people who are know-it-alls or think they're know-it-alls. So yeah, when you approach them, it's like yeah, just yeah, just give me the price, right? I don't need the rest of this. Yeah. Um, when you so when you confront that, I mean, how do you navigate that?
0: Bet- the difference between a direct sale and more of a curiosity. no, the, yeah. It's, what it's just saying you
1: just the price, and you know that if you're just yeah reduced to a price sale, you're unlikely to to get it, uh, less likely to get it. So how do you how do yeah. you break through to someone that just sort of wants to be sort factual about it and enable you to get in a position of telling your stories?
0: Yeah. So my sales bible is never split the difference. <laughs> I revisit it every year of First my sales response. career. Yeah. So I will mirror. I, I can be as direct
1: as anyone. I was going to say, what I is think, it about, about that that speaks to you?
0: I think it's just great life tactics. Oh man. I mm-hmm. mean, whenever I was dating, I would find myself going through like curiosity questions or expand on that for me and help me understand how you got to that. Um, whenever I am in a complicated sale with multiple people and I need more time to think about what, you know, the next question should be or how I want to approach it, I will implement one of those tactics so they can hear themselves repeat themselves back, you know, help them mm-hmm. elaborate on what they're thinking of. Whenever I go to negotiate my own career and salary, those are tactics I take into consideration. Um, and now, now I will say <laughs> the other day I was with my, uh, my partner and we were having a, a heated discussion about something and I started to just straight up pull the tactics on him and he paused me and he was like, excuse me, are you selling to me right now through curiosity? <laughs> and like, are you, are you trying to use your, your sales tactics on me? I was like, maybe, but help me understand how you know that. <laughs> so it's, it's great life advice.
1: Well, yeah, if it's life advice, not really sales tactics then, right? It's just yeah. good, good, solid life advice. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Okay. Well, I saw I hadn't meant to interrupt before, but you were... uh...
0: Yeah. Uh, With direct people, I just like to mirror their directness. If that's what you want, I can give you hard case studies. Tell me exactly what ROI you're trying to prove. Uh, What social proof do you need? Do you need references? If they will give me the opportunity to tell a story, I will try to interject. I think storytelling is so important. But it needs to be a relevant story for them. And I struggle with that a lot in the beginning of my career. I had three scripted stories I would revisit. And if that person on the other line didn't relate, it would go right over. So it is really important to hear them, even you know, getting to know them in the beginning, you know. Oh, you live in two cities. That's so interesting. Tell me more. Now mm-hmm. I can think of opportunities where I've explored other cities or lived in multiple places or whatever mm-hmm. and try to relate to you. And that will give me the opportunity to story tell down the road.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I, yeah, no, that's, that's good. I was curious. You're saying you came with your scripted stories and this is, is problematic for a lot of sellers is yeah. that coming up with their own stories so that they can relate and just sort of curious how you, yeah, of in the moment or, you know, based on what you're hearing for your prospect, how you're developing your stories as opposed to relying on the scripted stories that have been provided for you.
0: I practiced in Uber rides. So, I you get a variety of drivers when you ask for a ride share. And right. it used to be in San Francisco that you could even do Uber Pool or Lyft Pool where other right. strangers right. are in the car with you. Right. Inevitably the question will come up, what do you do? Right? And mm-hmm i realized that elevator pitches are just scripted stories but you got to get the point across quickly and you got to get them curious and all of that so i would practice many stories that would relate to the person i was talking to so ask two to three questions without saying a word without making a comment about yourself and then try to find a way to intertwine that with what you're about to tell them and it got me really mm-hmm. good at quick you can you don't have a long time in the car Um, But you get this opportunity to meet a unique individual, practice what your pitch would be, have it reflect something that they care about, and get them to ask you more questions. And that, Mm -hmm. that was something that I really honed in on. And so now I really try whenever I'm in a discovery phase, ask a lot of unique questions, do a lot of prep work. And then as I'm going through my deck, which is the exact same deck most of the time, it is I'm gonna interweave their story on slide three. I'm gonna ask them a more curious question on slide five. And I want them to know a little bit more about me by slide 10. So they feel like we're relating as humans and mm-hmm. we we sell experiences as rewards. And so I've been able to, since I'm more tenured at the organization, experience our product multiple times throughout my career, which is one of the reasons I stay here. I get to have a cool experience. So I just, I just yeah, yeah, but yeah. I get, exactly. They get to revert well, with so, me regularly.
1: Right. So for people who aren't familiar with Blueboard, talk a little bit about that because um, you're saying you're experiencing it. I mean, if Blueboard yeah. has been a generous sponsor of the show for a long time. So um, I've also had an experience with it. But yeah, just briefly tell folks what you're actually selling.
0: And I can't wait to hear what you chose for your experience. It's one of my favorite parts of this job, is is hearing what people chose.
1: (laughs) uh, Well, we are on a more limited budget, but it was uh, a beer of the month club, actually. So, yeah.
0: Nice. Okay, great. So whenever I ask that question, at Blueboard, we believe that the best way to recognize your employees is through meaningful and memorable experiences. And we serve that through curated global menus. When you receive a Blueboard reward as a recipient, you get to go and into your location and see a menu of options local to where you are. Now, the experiences themselves might be something that's more in-home, like a Beer of the Month Club. I'm getting a telescope and astronomy courses online. It could be something local in your community, like taking the kids to the zoo or a gondola ride for a romantic date. And then at the higher mm-hmm. levels, we do offer a lot of customized trips and travel. And every single reward comes with a concierge who plans the whole thing for you because we're all too busy. We all have cash in our bank accounts we could be doing these experiences with, but we're not doing it. And so our concierge really makes sure you go on that experience, have a great time, and then come back and have those stories to share. And that's kind of what I was talking to in in my last point is, for me, now in my sales cycle, I have these really meaningful moments I get to share with my clients. I get to tell them, for example, I just used my anniversary reward to take my best friends to Europe to see Garth Brooks not anyone else at Blueboard would care to see Garth Brooks. That's not a one-size-fits-all reward, but I do. And I came back glowing. I got to recharge for two weeks. My friends now know about Blueboard and love Blueboard. And I got to come back and not only share that experience with, with the people I love and care about and want to give time back to, but share it with my coworkers. So we have a new AE who just started and I was kind of doing training with her. And I told her about my friends and Garth Brooks, and we connected over that. And that social connection is really important, both in and out of the workplace. And when I tell you know, other colleagues or people I'm selling to on these calls about Garth Brooks, some will light up and we'll go in a little five-minute conversation about her. Some are like, oh, country music. And I'm like, oh, I know, right, but Dublin, what about that? So um, it gives me a lot of flexibility in my storytelling. I'm really, I'm really blessed that my product is as human as I am.
1: Yeah, which is is important these days because there's so much of selling that's so programmatic and mechanized and and
0: yeah
1: yeah not not very connection oriented. Um, yes. So you're selling into HR. You're selling to sales leaders.
0: Both. So we sell your our rewards can be applied to a variety of types of products. Typically our two buyers fall under the HR world or the sales world. So they can buy us for things like anniversary rewards, spot recognition, onboarding gifts, end of the year holiday gifts are really big right now for us. Or for the sales leaders, our most popular uh, product and my favorite one to sell because I love selling to salespeople and helping them think about strategy, our sales incentives, SPFs, SKO awards, presidents, clubs, or high performer awards. And an right. experience can be exciting for anyone, no matter what stage of your career you're in or, or what you're earning that reward for.
1: Well, so, yeah, obviously, one of the big areas of concern, you know, post pandemic and, well, <laughs> even somewhat now that companies are in layoff mode, at least since, you know, some economic headwinds coming is, you know, key performer retention. Yep. is So we're, yeah, companies have sort of a choice how they're spending money. I mean, what really gets people to stay is it? Hey, first and foremost, commission. I don't care about anything else. You know, again, talking about sales performers, or is it recognition?
0: Yeah, I think it has multi layers to it. I come from a space and a background where I really believe in doing deep research, in the market, and what I'm passionate about, and. Mm-hmm. I was mentioning earlier to you that one of my favorite books is the five love languages, right? What, what lights up a partner and how do you get them to love you more? And personally, in my own personal mm. life, I haven't given physical gifts in over 12 years for the holidays. I only give experiences. So again, whenever I found Blueboard, I was like, this is my life. Um, and well, what now, were you doing,
1: what were you doing before, before Blueboard? What was an experience oh, you would typically would give somebody?
0: Sure. So I, Cooking classes, uh, making jam okay. with my grandmother, taking my father to race around a racetrack, taking my mother to Vegas to see Reba. Again, big country fan here. Uh, not <laughs> to plug that. <laughs> um, I really, really, and actually, that trip I took with my mother and my sister, I planned every single day around the five love languages without telling my mother that and incorporated them all in there and then did a research project for Blueboard and came back and presented how experiences are the only thing that touch all the love languages when done right. So it's something, again, I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, sorry, take
1: take what you did that that touched the five love languages.
0: Oh, goodness, okay. So uh, if you're not familiar with the five love languages, they are acts of service, words of affirmation, gift giving, Quality time and physical touch. And so mm-hmm. whenever I took my mother to Vegas, um, obviously, the actually the whole trip was a surprise for her. So quality time was a, a vacation with my sister right. and I. We grew up really poor. So we've never gotten to go on family vacations, really. Um, The other acts of service, I never let her carry her bags, never made her lift her suitcase, never let her even dress herself. We would pick out outfits, and it was always fun for her, for her daughter to, like, pick out her outfits and do her makeup. Uh, Quality time and words of affirmation were kind of intermingled, as well as physical touch. So if we were walking down the strip, I would, like, hold her hand. And at 30 years old, like, your 30-year-old daughter doesn't hold her hand anymore, right? Whenever we were at the dinner table, every single night, I would record her and ask her about her childhood, what lit her up, what makes her feel special. And being seen and heard is really yes. important. And, and that's yeah. something I, I translate into my sales process as well, is people want to know that they're human to you. They want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be validated in what they bring to the table as an individual. And so that made her light up. And, uh, of course, physical gifts. So I actually surprised her with a makeover uh, the night before the concert. We had took her to see Bro- Brooks and Dunn and Reba, Gave her makeover, bought her some gifts, surprised her. And at the end of the full experience, I recorded her. And I said, what was this the whole trip like for you? And she named all the five love languages without even knowing it. She was like, you surprised me with gifts and made me feel like I was truly special. I felt so seen and heard when you would ask me about my childhood. Like no one had really ever asked me to reflect on my life like that. Whenever we would walk down the strip, you would hold my hand. You weren't afraid to hug me and just give me affection. You never made me want for anything. You always carried my bags. You made sure like if I needed water, you got it for me. And I just felt so loved. My love bucket's overflowing. And in the video, like I'm crying, my mom is crying. And I take it back to the company and give a presentation. All my coworkers are crying. And I said, see, like, she didn't even know that that's what I was doing. And and it, it translated so well. And so, yeah, I think that's what we're trying to do here is just make people feel loved. And they get to define how they'd like that love to show up for them.
1: So do you find yourself consciously incorporating that same approach of the five love languages into your selling?
0: Absolutely. Yes. It's so... I'll use sales, selling to sales leaders as an example, right? The sure, age old yeah. additive of like, give them cash. Sales love cash. No, that's not true. If I loved cash, like I, I could have done a lot of other things to make good money. It, it did afford me a better life than I could have ever done for myself coming from the background I right. came from. But it doesn't light me up. My family is everything to me. My friends are everything to me. And if I can give them a better life, that, that lights me up. And so... When I hear our sales leader say, well, we do cash spiffs. Cool. When was the last time you guys all sat down at a table and asked every single person to tell you a story of what they did with that cash? What would people tell you? What would that story be like? Mm-hmm. What if you gave them the opportunity to take their kids to Disneyland? What if you gave each of them the opportunity to tell you what kind of experience they would like to have and you had a conversation at the beginning of the quarter and then at the end of the quarter once they had that experience? What would that interconnectedness be like for your team? You can say they will take that cash and do something nice for themselves, but the chances are they won't because as humans, we're going to fill that Maslow hierarchy of needs. I'm going to go take care of my kids' school. I'm going to make sure I pay off that bill. I'm going to put it into my savings account because that's responsible. But with Blueboard, you're actually telling them you have no other choice. I'm going to take away that justifiability factor. Go do something nice for yourself because you pushed harder you went above and beyond and then come back and tell us that story because that story as we know in sales has a ripple effect it makes people care it makes people feel connected it motivates others it's the one thing that feels just as good to give as it does to receive I don't feel bad if Bob hits his quarterly goals and decided to surprise his wife and propose to her you know a ski lodge that's great good job Bob thanks for your goals but if Bob came back and bragged about his five grand that he just earned I'd be like Bob You're kind of a jerk. Don't sit next to me. Right. (laughs) So it just, it's that difference in, in the power of storytelling and making that happen on a really regular level inside a company.
1: Well, but I think it's also for me It's is it speaks to a larger issue and you, you brought up as, you know, Hey, if you get a sales leader and say, yeah, tell me, tell me what your, all of your sellers do with that spiff you paid them is it's just, it's unthinking. Right, when we do those types of things, oh, it's because of what we've always done let's 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 yeah. do a spiff. Yeah, you know, I remember sitting at this sales event with all these sales leaders, and uh, there was there were a, a number of tables, and I was rotating from table to table and sort of listening to conversations and and they were talking about giving out spiffs and and I would at each table ask the same question, and no one <laughs> had an answer to so this. I said, so, have you ever calculated an ROI on that spiff? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's, do you get more sales out of it? Do you get greater loyalty? Do people stick around longer? What's your ROI on that spiff? And it's like, well, we just, this is what we do. It's the end of the quarter. It's like, okay. <laughs> and there's just no thought applied to say, maybe there's something else we could do that wow. has impact in all the dimensions or most of the dimensions that we want. That's not just handing somebody cash. I mean, it's like, People are afraid to think a little differently about these things. And so it's, yeah, whether it's yeah, curated experiences, that's great. Or it's just, yeah, something, something more mundane. I share an experience. With uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think we can build on that a little further and just dig a little deeper into that. In that old school sales, again, pre me, uh, <laughs> was put cash in, <laughs> you get cash out, right? You, you just... Feed them more, but our transactional brains now make that cash part of my compensation, it's expected. I'm gonna hit go, you're gonna pay me more, I'm now your top performer, congratulations, thank you, right? Now, when we're in the post-pandemic world, and this is true across the board, Salespeople have always been human, by the way. We weren't just these machines before the pandemic and all of a sudden we're demanding more. We've always been human. We've That's why President's Clubs are so big for organizations. If, if it was true that you could put more cash in and get more cash out, there would be no major enterprise organization with the President's Club. They just give them a 20K check. 20K is nothing if they're bringing in 20 mil a year, here you go. But President's Club is this unique opportunity to build connection, to form community, to, elevate yourself amongst your peers right and so when we're thinking about sales culture especially as we turn our attention to a remote world how are we building that connection cash isn't going to do that if i sit in my room and feel isolated all day long making cold calls and then my boss is like here's a 50 dollars gift card for hitting your cold calling goals this quarter yay but Mm -hmm. i don't even know half of my team i've only ever seen them on zoom if I come back, though, and I, again, had a Michelin star dinner, and I talk about the seven courses and how I actually love cooking, that connection there, I am taking that essence of President's Club and just kind of interweaving it into our sales culture. And that's what winning sales teams do, is they have this great connection. They have camaraderie. They have this leader who is invested in the individuals of the group and really feed into that, at least for the research I've done and the different activities mm-hmm. i've been a part of. And i think that's really important to not lose sight of. And i will add as we're looking at you mentioned the economy and kind of everyone's feeling uneasy when we look at cutting teams, right? Um talent acquisition teams and sales teams. They're going to cut make cuts around there, right? So now we need every performer to perform. If we're really looking at budgets and what we're doing but just saying we're going to pay you guys a little more but we're strapped for cash Uh, hope you guys care isn't going to do it but if you say the whole teams get behind this goal and and we want to celebrate you as individuals because we know this is a tough and scary time for you too that communicates a different kind of investment in them as an individual and the kind of effort they need to put in to carry the whole team and you're spreading out resources and and you're asking them to roll up their sleeves and so the communication of how you're going to support them through that, and then after they actually achieve those goals, needs to be something that is more human nature, human-centric, than I'm just going to throw more cash at you.
1: Well, yeah, and this really speaks to the larger issue, which is, and you start off the conversation talking about culture, is the starts at the top, People to yeah. at people at the top have to see the value, but they have to be committed to it as well. I mean it's it's you know, I could see some sales leaders saying, Oh yeah, yeah, this looks kinda of cool. This might take some pressure off of me to do something, you know <laughs> something different, just yeah, let's do this. But yeah. if they're doing it that way and they're not really buying into it, then it's not gonna be successful either. I mean, people have to feel I said this change at a top that and you'd use the word team, because I think this has also become more problematic during the pandemic is yeah, sales sales organizations feel more like collections of individuals than actual teams. Yeah. And yeah, if you're just individuals, then what's your incentive to stay, right? I'm going to do my year. Yeah, I'm going to go somewhere else, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, team, very important.
0: Yeah, I was listening to a, a human scientist who studies um, this and applies it to sales cultures and she was saying how it's really important to look at your spiff structure and think about what are you truly trying to incentivize and actually team-driven spiffs do really, really well because you are now saying we are only as good as our lowest performer and right, so this top a performer- a, a,
1: collective, a payout that's collective if, if everybody makes it.
0: Correct, yeah. yeah. And now it incentivizes your top performer to help you from the top down. Right. if you're right. managing eight salespeople, your top performer is now like, yo, I need you to come up so we can all get there together and they're going to lean in for the coaching and they're going to lean in for the thought, the thought leadership and knowledge sharing. And that's really important too, is to create a culture of, of sharing. And I will add this. There was a point in my career where I actually in sales, once my HR leader, I, we had a, a sales leader that I just... I couldn't really get collaboration from and the feedback I got at the end of that was hey maybe sales isn't for you sales tends to be a lone wolf kind of culture and you seem to be want to be really collaborative based on your past experience in people operations right. and so maybe 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 we can explore other careers and I felt crushed because I was so passionate I was a top performer I couldn't understand, like, how is that the feedback I got? But I'm um, a growth mindset. So I was like, I'm going to take this feedback and I would like to to think on it and then come back. And I actually went to another teammate who was like, what are you? Absolutely not. None of us here would have gone where we are if we didn't share decks, if we didn't share our thoughts. Like, I think they're thinking of this in a pipeline mentality And hitting numbers isn't what drives great sales cultures it is the team striving towards the common 5 10 15 million goal and we're all parts that have to work together and so one thing we even did last quarter here at blueboard is we did a team spiff and we said everyone sit down and tell us what your dream vacation would be and if we hit this goal all of you get your dream vacation and that's so cool and it was the power of president's club but i got to hear you know, what our lowest performer really cared about. And that moved me. And I was like, Oh, I want to help you get that vacation. Of course. And we all felt more motivated to lean in because of that, that human connection. It wasn't just go hit your goal and we'll give you some, some thousand dollars spit. It was no, we're going to treat you to a vacation. And I care about her vacation. I'm going to lean in. So, yeah.
1: And how did it turn out?
0: We didn't hit goal. <laughs> the, whole, the whole team, I mean, the whole world right now, it's is feeling a little pressure, and we had a pretty right. aggressive goal that was predetermined at the beginning of the year before the world looked like the way it did. Yeah. Um, but I will say we have a really cool tool uh, in our platform, and this isn't a plug for Blueboard, but it, it kind of ties into this, where you can go in and you can see the spiff you're trying to earn. You can see the experience and really keep your eye on the prize. And we could go back and revisit the deck of everyone else's. And so it was something that our sales leader returned to is like hey make sure you help britney drive her dream rv across all the national parks like this really matters to her right. and it wasn't it wasn't just go hit goal. don't forget we're three weeks out it was like hey don't let britney down don't let right. danny down right and and that sentiment made the loss actually a lot more emotional for us we were way more invested into what that loss meant for everyone except for just yourself, which I do feel like if you don't hit goal for a quarter in most sales orgs that are transactional in nature, it's, well, I just don't get my bonus or whatever this quarter.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I think such a great point is is that's that's less common. That's, that's, I said before, that's, sales leaders are higher, and I think they're building, a, I said, a collection of lone wolves or individuals as opposed to people on a team. We've got mutual accountability, whether you have a team spiff yeah. or not. Is the fact you feel like you're working for each other, as well as yourself, yeah. is a huge differentiator. In my experience, a number of companies I've worked with, too many over the years, or that I've consulted with, is yeah, those who are consistently successful have that culture where everybody feels like they're in it together. Um, and it doesn't say that yeah, minimize the importance of individual goals, but no. if you create that culture, that that yeah, we're part of a team. We're going to succeed together. We'll fail together. Uh, we're going to work for each other. Yeah. Those top performers mentor, you know, their peers or the lower performers, everybody's pulling. Yeah. Your odds of success go up quite a bit.
0: Right. Right. That altruism is really invested in by everyone.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Brittany, well, thank you so much for joining. We've run out of time, but um, enjoy the conversation. And you did a great job on your first podcast. So if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, how should they do that?
0: You can connect with me on LinkedIn. I am there. You can also write into Blueboard if you're curious about what we do and you'll probably route it to me and we can just exchange stories for 30 minutes. Um, But yeah, those are the two best mediums.
1: Perfect. All right. Brittany, thank you.
0: Thank you, Andy. Have a great one.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank our guest, Britt Bartolini, for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.